Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, there's a thing called the third wave of coffee. You know, people are starting to even talk about a fourth wave of coffee. And the first wave was what you're talking about, folders and Sanka and all that. And you have no idea where that coffee came from. It's just blended together. It doesn't taste too good. And then the second wave was more like maybe your Dunkin' Donuts and places where you could say, okay, that's an okay cup of coffee, maybe, but probably roasted pretty dark. And then the third wave is people knowing where, you know, one, knowing where their coffee comes from. Um, so the roasters are traveling to origin, hopefully, and seeing the actual farms where it's produced. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and today on the show, we are going to learn a thing or two about coffee. Whether you like coffee or whether you don't, you most likely know about coffee. It is the second most popular drink in the world, only behind tea, and it's actually more popular than water. So it's Number one, tea. Number two, coffee. Number three, water. So basically, we'll do anything besides drink water. I know I'm that way. Um, maybe you are interested, you know, in homebrewing. You love Starbucks or you hate Starbucks or you like Dunkin' Donuts or you're a Maxwell House kind of person, which my parents were. And, you know, anytime we go looking at coffee in the grocery store, we always see this fair trade logo on the box. I'm always curious, like, what does that mean? I mean, how is their trade fair? What are they trading besides coffee beans? What's going on there? Well, today on the show, our guest is Ben Weiner of Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, which is a specialty coffee growing group that's aimed at connecting coffee roasters with coffee farmers. So today, Ben's going to talk us through all about Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, the three waves of coffee, which I didn't know about that, kind of how coffee has kind of taken over culture in the past couple of decades. He's also going to tell us kind of what makes espresso so different how it kind of packs so much more of a caffeine punch than regular coffee, and how fair trade 
you know, once it's in practice, actually doesn't work as some experts think and how he and Gold Mountain Coffee Growers are trying to fix that to make sure coffee growers in different countries around the world are getting their fair share of profits. And we're also, coffee has numerous brewing techniques. We're gonna talk about those in Ben's preferred method of brewing coffee. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you're listening to it in the morning, brew yourself a cup of coffee and listen to it. Maybe you'll get a kick out of it and learn a thing or two. Again, this is with Ben Weiner. Check out their website. It's goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com. And on with the show, time to learn a thing or two about coffee. All right. Well, Ben Weiner, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you are with Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, and you're the chief farmer, the CEO. And I'm excited to talk with you because I've, over the past couple of months, you know, in quarantine, I've developed a love for coffee. So you're the first coffee grower we've had on the show. So awesome. um, before, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. So kind of talk us through your background, like kind of where'd you grow up? How'd you wind up being kind of the man behind Gold Mountain Coffee Growers? Yeah, so I didn't like coffee when I was little. I still remember tasting a coffee that I thought was hot chocolate when I was a kid and spitting it out and having this <laughs> adverse reaction to it. And now I am a Q grader, which is like a sommelier for wine, but for coffee. And love it, love tasting different kinds of coffee and varieties. And I got into it when doing my thesis research in Nicaragua around the coffee economy. And I learned that there were huge bottlenecks in the international co coffee economy between coffee farmers and roasters and people who enjoy coffee. And farmers and whole communities were really getting a very short end of the stick, a very bad deal, um, and getting, you know, cents or about two or three cents of every cup of coffee that you drink was going to the farmer. And so there were just way too many middlemen. So what we did was create Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, especially coffee farming group of farmers, to connect us farmers directly with roasters throughout the world. So, yeah. Yep. That's awesome. So it seems like, I know the history of coffee. Like I've kind of watched it, you know, vaguely on discovery channel and history channel and stuff like that so kind of how was you know how coffee was discovered i mean it grows in a berry right and then you've got to take the seed and then yep. roast it so how exactly was it discovered the legend is that there was this goat herder named caldi and that he noticed that some of his goats who were eating these berries had this incredible amount of energy and that he then tried the berries himself and all of a sudden had this incredible vigor and, you know, uh, kicking his step. And so that, that's the legend and that it was, you know, discovered in Africa. And then eventually it was brought over to other parts of the world. Um, and, you know, including eventually to where we are in Nicaragua. So that, that's the legend anyway. Gotcha. That makes sense. So, I think I've heard that coffee is what, like the third most popular drink in the world behind like water and tea. Is that right? Yeah. And one of the most traded commodities besides oil. And oh, I can't it, believe it. It's really unfortunate actually when it's treated as a commodity because it can be so special when 
a lot of effort is put into it, like the farmers in our group do. So it it's really too bad um, when it's treated like a commodity that sells for sometimes less than $1 per pound. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, so what's the whole growing process like? Like how long does it take for a coffee plant to um, to produce the berries? And then how long does it take to take the berries until they're ready to be coffee grounds and in your morning cup of joe? Yeah, imagine that you decide, I want to be a coffee farmer. Maybe you were in the mountains in Nicaragua or wherever it might be along the coffee belt in the world. And you think, I'm going to start planting coffee. Well, you're going to have no income from that coffee for many people think it's three years, but the truth is before it's producing strongly and it's going to give you an economically viable crop, it's more like five years. And so that from when you plant that cherry to when it's, you know, about as tall as a human being, that's about five years. And then then it's going to be producing strongly, but it's going to stop producing strongly uh, just a few more years after that. And then you're going to have to trim it. And all along the way, you need labor, whether it be yourself, your family, or that you're hiring others to help you. You're going to need to be fertilizing. You're going to need to already have the right growing conditions, the right altitude, the right precipitation, and, and so temperature. So many factors go into it. It's really challenging. Oh, I can imagine. So I know that there's, at least when I was a kid, my parents were very traditional. You know, all they drank was either Folgers or Maxwell's house or Maxwell house. And that's it. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, for and, them. And, oh yeah. <laughs> and we, we were in a small town, so we really didn't have uh-huh. like all the, all the choices, but yeah, I mean, why it seems like in the past 10 years, coffee types and brands and just flavors of coffee have grown exponentially. Mm-hmm. So do you have any like ideas to why that's happened? Yeah, there's a thing called the third wave of coffee. You know, people are starting to even talk about a fourth wave of coffee. And the first wave was what you're talking about, folders and Sanka and all that. And you'd have no idea where that coffee came from. It's just blended together. It doesn't taste too good. And then the second wave was more like maybe your Dunkin' Donuts and places where you could say, okay, that's an okay cup of coffee, maybe but probably roasted pretty dark. And then the third wave is people knowing where, you know, one, knowing where their coffee comes from. Um, So the roasters are traveling to origin, hopefully, and seeing the actual farms where it's produced and then having some kind of direct connection with the farmers. And then two, roasting it well, not burning it. And then three, brewing it very well to bring out all the wonderful flavors that are inherent in that bean that they've helped to source that farmers have worked so hard on. So the, and then the reason is I think that a few people, you know, started doing that maybe, uh, you know, counterculture originally Starbucks as part of the second wave borderline third, but didn't quite get there. Um, and some others started, you know, getting into direct sourcing and, showed people just how awesome coffee can taste kind of like wine and so some connoisseurs started demanding it and the the demand started picking up kind of in a niche market and then it's grown to a much bigger specialty market gotcha yeah that's a very good comparison i mean it does seem that coffee is like a wine like there's just so many varieties and if it's grown in a particular area it tastes so much better are there any particular areas around the world that are kind of more famous for their coffee, like Nicaragua or Honduras or somewhere like that? So traditionally, 
a lot of people have loved coffee from Ethiopia, and some people loved it from Kenya, um, from Panama. But it's unfortunate to stereotype an entire origin of coffee as just being good or bad. So, you know, traditionally in Nicaragua, we weren't quite known for having great coffee. And then some international competitions came in and some people started paying attention to quality. And if you look at the quality of coffee from farmers in our specialty group of farmers, and then you look at coffee from some of our neighbors who haven't planted varieties of coffee, kinds of coffee that taste as great, you're going to notice a huge difference. And then also in the picking, if some of it is picked you know, for commercial purposes and with no attention to the ripeness level of the coffee and to not over fermenting it or under fermenting it and all kinds of other, you know, not sorting out defects at all levels of the game, then you're going to get a drastic difference in quality. So whether you be in Ethiopia or Nicaragua or Panama or Myanmar or somewhere else, you could find incredible high cupping specialty coffee that could be, you know, on the Specialty Coffee Association scale above 90 points, or you could get something that's commercial quality that could be 50, 60, 70 something points. It's more about the care, the variety, the altitude that goes into it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, also, before I forget, so when it comes yeah. to coffee, are you more of a cold brew, pour over, um, traditional like coffee maker? What is your preferred brewing method for your coffee? I love a lot of different methods. I particularly love pour over because you can get a really nice extraction if we're going to get geeky about it. And so <laughs> if you think about your French press and the problem with that is the coffee just sits, even when you press it, the grinds are still touching the water and it gets over extracted and it can taste kind of muddy. Not not horrible, a lot better than some other ways of brewing, but but not the best. And then if you look at your traditional percolator, problem with that is not all the grinds might even get wet at all. And uh, what, what's nice with a pour over is that if you do it in a, you know, a skilled way, which anyone can learn just looking at some YouTubes, then you can get a perfect extraction and bring out really the best in the beans. Um, that doesn't mean I don't love a, a great espresso where you know an expert barista has really dialed it in and pulled an awesome espresso shot. It can be a lot of fun to have a really nice espresso it's not burnt or underdeveloped or, or really far off so it, you know it's you know i wouldn't want to just have a pour over every single morning but but if i had to be stuck with one thing it would probably be a pour over there you go that, that's a good choice yeah the first time i had pour over i was like wow you, you wouldn't think it would make a huge difference in the flavor but it actually does and then yeah. like before i'd had that i tried I saw it on YouTube and I was like, you know what? I want to try this overnight cold brew thing. And so yeah. I let some cold brew sit on the counter overnight. And then the next morning I got up and I went to plunge it. Well, it was literally the first, literally the first time I'd done it. And so I plunged it and I pushed yeah. a little bit too harder than I should have. Uh -oh. And the coffee <laughs> shot out the top. I was like, oh, well, no. <laughs> crap. So with 12 hours just down the drain. But Yeah, it's a lot of work. There's a cold brew, you know, it, it's, it's here already. There's a storm of cold brew in a good way that it's become wildly popular in the summer because you can have it cold in the summer mm -hmm. and still get your caffeine fix. And the thing with cold brew is that you might not get as good an extraction as brewing it hot. And so there's another thing called flash brew or people have some other names for it, but 
what it is, is imagine you do a pour over, but instead of using, let's say you're going to do 300 milliliters of water. Maybe you do 150 milliliters of ice and then just 150 milliliters of water and you do your pour over right onto the ice. And the result is that you get the hot extraction, which is a beautiful extraction, and it instantly chills the coffee. So it's it's to the best of both worlds. And not only that, you don't have to wait the 12 hours. So if the whole thing drops on the floor and your glass breaks, at least you could grab another brewer and start again right there. <laughs> if you oh, have your... Yeah. That's a good idea. So you you put ice, coffee, and then hot water? Not ice, coffee. So you just, let's say you were going to do a pour over. So imagine you right. have your cone-like apparatus sitting on top of a, a mug or a pitcher and you would weigh out 150 grams of ice and put that in the pitcher in the bottom uh, and then gotcha. if you know if you knew that you needed a total of 300 milliliters of liquid now you just add another 150 of liquid that's just an example it may be okay gotcha. or whatever or your amounts um and and so you're you just brew it hot and it falls onto the ice and cools it instantly Okay, that makes much more sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, I might have to try that. That sounds really good. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty easy. It sounds like it. And another quick question. So I've heard a lot of people ask me, they're like, hey, what's the difference between espresso and regular coffee? So isn't espresso just kind of more concentrated? Yes, an espresso is concentrated. And there's kind of a lively debate where some people think that an espresso roast should be darker. And that's what traditionally probably a majority of people if you did a survey would might think. But then there's another school of thought that thinks that you should do a roast that brings out the best in the beans and then you dial in the espresso, meaning you dial in your grind size and the amount of coffee and the amount of water and the temperature of the water even and and just pull it so that you're bringing out the best but you don't roast it more. And then there's people in between who might think, okay, maybe roast it just the littlest bit more because since it's a concentrate and there might be some really nice flavor notes in there, you don't want to over-concentrate those flavor notes. If let's say the flavor note was a sweet lemon, it might be overwhelming in an espresso. So if you just roast it for say five or 10 more seconds, just a little bit more, you're going to bring out a little more sweetness. And since it's concentrated, that lemon might come back anyway, but in a balanced way in the espresso once it's you know that concentrated shot that gets pulled right okay gotcha i haven't tried making any espresso at home luckily um, I, I feel like i would mess that up a lot but espresso is usually really good whenever we try to go to like the local starbucks it's really good it'll kind of get a get a pep in your step yeah if anyone wanted to try that at home on the cheap you could get a stovetop espresso machine there's one called a bialetti or other people call it a mocha pot but you know it's the kind that screws the top screws on looks like a pitcher there's a little top that has a hinge and yeah that little metal one up. yeah yeah maybe somewhere around 30 dollars. you could probably get one so yeah gotcha that's not bad yeah i always see those all the time at like home goods or target might have to pick one mm -hmm. up to try it yep so on your on your website and also i feel like on a lot of different coffees from around the world there's this thing on there called fair trade so what is, and you guys kind of talk about it on your website, but what is the importance of coffee that is, that goes by fair trade? So I wish that fair trade actually meant something. Unfortunately, it's lost a lot of its meaning nowadays. And so 
we go beyond what fair trade does in our farming group. So the idea behind fair trade was to make sure that farmers and workers had a minimum amount of income. But in practice, what we've seen is, let's say that you have a co-op and the co-op has, because of fair trade requirements, a minimum price. I have to check out the minimum price, the latest one, but let's say it was $1.40 per pound. Then the idea and consumers think, and even some experts on fair trade think that that means the farmer's going to get $1.40. It doesn't mean that. It means that the co-op is going to get $1.40 and then Maybe there's corruption in the co-op, which is way, way too common. Or maybe there just are some legitimate costs of the co-op, such as marketing and financing and logistics, transport, administration. And by the time all that's said and done, maybe the farmer is getting less than a dollar per pound. And there's a study, I think, by Stanford University, or someone from Stanford that said that in many cases, farmers of, you know, fair trade farmers are getting paid less, not in all cases, but in many, than the local market prevailing rate. If they were to just walk to the local market where everything is sold, uh, where agricultural products are sold, they might get a better price than fair trade. So it's, it's unfortunately lost a lot of its meaning. And we've seen far too many cases of corruption and lack of transparency where people say something is transparent is one thing, but it's really another. So we're, we're trying to go way beyond that, not to bash fair trade, because I think it, you know, a lot of people have wonderful hearts trying to accomplish great things, but um, we're, you know, we're going farther. And so roasters of coffee can come and visit every single farmer in our specialty coffee farming group and there's a pandemic going on we can send all kinds of uh, information and videos and photos and facilitate conversations and everything even right now and we're you know in Nicaragua all the time on the ground we are the farmers and so you know we we try to have a, a very heightened level of transparency and and add a lot of meaning back to um, you know go beyond some of these certifications right so if if a, if a coffee drinker wanted to support their coffee farmer as much as possible, but they're somewhere here in the U.S. where they're kind of farther away from coffee farms, what is the best option for them? Like, is it to look for that fair trade logo or look for a better trade logo? Or what's your what are your thoughts there? I wish it was to look for the fair trade logo, but that, that's lost a lot of its meaning. A lot of other certifications have unfortunately lost their meaning. And one way to to put to, to make sure that farmers and not only farmers, but communities are getting a better deal is <laughs> if there were in a pandemic, you could actually go down and visit, you know, say this is from a certain farm, go visit that farmer and see what's really happening there. And we actually encourage that for, within you know our farming group for roasters to come and visit. But for consumers, they can ask questions where they're getting their coffee. And first of all, is there tons of information about that farm? Does it show that that roaster has gone and actually visited that farm? Or did the importer just provide some basic information and they're trying to make it look like there's a, some you know, direct action going on there, but there really isn't? You know, Just ask a lot of questions. And there are a lot of roasters who are really doing the right thing through ethical sourcing and putting a lot of work into making sure that farmers and communities are benefiting from the supply chain. And so just just ask a lot of questions and and do a lot of 
reading. Um, if you wanted to find roasters of our coffee, then feel free to shoot us a, a DM, a direct message on Instagram or Facebook or social media, gold MTN coffee, and we can find roasters near you that have our coffees from our farming group or goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com. You can hit our contact page. We can try to hook you up with the right roasters near you. But yeah, I mean, just try to find roasters who are really doing ethical sourcing. So COVID's going on right now. It's kind of impacting everything. So how exactly has it impacted you guys? At first, we thought that there was a doomsday scenario going on and that roasters were going to maybe even break contracts, which you know, would unfortunately really, really affect our farming group in a horrible way. But we've actually found that our coffee has almost sold out this year, which is amazing compared to other years. And I think that people are at home and wanting better coffee and they're willing to actually I, I would. I was going to say pay for it, but actually, they'd end up paying less for it if they got if they brew it at home than if they were going to their local coffee shop and buying it as a liquid. And so, roasters are trying to tap into that and and have wanted more specialty coffees, and so they've been coming to us and asking for more, and we're almost sold out. So that's good for the economics of it, health wise, which is obviously super important. Luckily, all of the farmers and families and our staff have all been okay. We've been handing out masks left and right and hand sanitizer and taking all the precautions that we can. Um, people are getting sick in Nicaragua and at other coffee origins, and it's very unfortunate. And, you know, we're, we're installing extra sinks on our farm before the 2021 harvest happens. We're working on that already now. And so, you know, we're taking all the measures that we can. and you know, obviously it will affect people just like it's affecting people in the U.S. and throughout the world, and it is affecting people. But, you know, so far we're we're getting by. I mean, we're, we're having to provide transportation instead of having any of our staff take public transportation. And so, you know, it, it's making things a bit um, more stressful and, and there's extra cost. And, and, you know, we just hope that everybody stays healthy at the end of the day. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, we're all kind of going through this and I hope you guys continue to kind of fight it as well. It's been weird. Um, yep. So what are, are, are there any major misconceptions about coffee or coffee production that you kind of see normal consumers have? I'd say more than a misconception, there's just a general lack of knowledge about where coffee comes from, how it's grown and who's involved in the process. Yeah, and, and and if there are any farmers listening who want to have a, an exchange of info or ideas, they're obviously welcome to come visit our coffee farm. Our flag, we have a flagship farm. It's called Finca Idealista in our group. And so everyone's welcome to come visit that farm and also visit other members of our group and, and see things firsthand. We've had farmers from Nebraska. We've had farmers from other places come a bunch of farmers who are also coffee roasters um, have come and visited or or work with us there's a farmer in canada and so yeah it's a wonderful exchange of info when that happens 
you guys' website is really great, goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com. I mean, you got a lot of resources on there, a lot of offerings you guys have. Um, what would you say? What would you say your goals are for for Gold Mountain Coffee? Our goal is to improve the plight of farmers and whole communities, whole farming communities. So, a lot of people think and ask questions about the farmer. But it's not just the farmer that puts in the effort into your cup of coffee. There are so many people. There is the person who is the farm worker who's helping plant the seeds. Then there are the farm workers who are tending uh, to the trees as they're growing and trimming and fertilizing and, and weeding and doing so many things for years until it's finally growing. And then there are the pickers. Then there are there's the staff that does the wet processing of the coffee and then the dry processing. There are drivers, there are you know accounting staff that we have, there are the staff that are working on the export and the import, and then the logistics of getting it up to the roaster. So there's so many people. And we want to make sure that all people, not just in the destination countries, but also in origin countries, are being compensated adequately. And that's really challenging because you know, we, even a specialty coffee, we sell it for what you might think is really cheap. So let's say that you buy a coffee from us for $3 and change or $5 and change for a specialty coffee, or maybe an incredible coffee is eight something. That's still a lot less than people pay in the supermarket. And so it's really challenging on the production end to have everyone be compensated adequately. We really need to start treating coffee more like fine wine given all the work that goes into it. It's handpicked and it's, it's, it's incredible all the effort that goes into it. Well, Ben, that was awesome to hear. I hope you guys continue to grow with gold mountain coffee growers. Um, like we said, so your, your website, goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com, You have a lot of really good stuff, a lot of educational material on there. Um, if people want to go learn about coffee or see what you guys are up to, where can they go besides your website? They could go to social media. Our Instagram presence is pretty big. So gold, mtn coffee gold for gold mountain coffee growers or there are links from our website also goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com and you can follow us and we put up a lot of stuff check out our instagram stories not just our big posts also our our reels our instagram tv you can see a lot of the cool things that we're up to well ben this has been awesome man learning about coffee i know i'm gonna go have a cup of coffee now after our interview um Hope you guys keep up the good work and we'll have to touch base with you soon to see how you guys are doing and we'll have to try some coffee sometime. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Trevor. Appreciate it. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.